be humble when you come to the U.S. I worked as a research assistant making $10.40 an hour. Anybody working at McDonald's was making the same amount that I was or more. And I was a doctor working for that much money. But it was not the money. It was the experience. So be humble. One step at a time. Be humble and then you get there. The International Dentist Podcast. Conversations to motivate and empower dental professionals. With your host, Dr. LaGreca. I can't believe in over 30 episodes, I'm finally interviewing the first orthodontist. If you're listening from Brazil, you probably know that they are the country with the largest number of dental schools worldwide. Can you imagine the competition and number of graduates every year? It is not a surprise that many Brazilian dentists explore careers in the U.S. and seek pathways for licensure. One of the biggest challenges when coming from Latin America is understanding the difference in cost of dental education in the U.S. and their countries. Many people hesitate to explore the possibility just due to the financial preparation needed and sacrifices along the way. In this conversation, you will learn how it is possible to come on a tight budget and still get opportunities, and how there is no one unique path to success, but many alternatives depending on who you are as a professional back home and what your background is. Today's guest was able to successfully complete licensure in one of the most desired and competitive specialties in the U.S., orthodontics. He had a plan, a vision, and a budget, and worked diligently until get where he is right now, a successful practice owner and leader of other international dentists in Brazil with his educational programs to understand licensure and examinations in America. His content is mostly in Portuguese. But no worries. This interview will be in English because there is so much everyone can learn from his story. During this conversation, we will navigate the path of a researcher, going through advanced ending, and ultimately what it is the business of dentistry in the United States, how private practice operates, and what are the opportunities for international dentists interested in a career as a business owner and entrepreneur. I took a lot of notes in this conversation. And we, together, continue this mission of supporting colleagues in their career paths in North America. This is a great episode full of value. You got to listen to every part of it. For this episode of the International Dentist Podcast, my friend, Dr. Leonardo Corich. Hello, Dr. Corich. Welcome to the International Dentist Podcast. Thank you for having me, Dr. Legrick. I'm really honored to be here. It is a pleasure and really, really looking forward for this conversation. It's been so long that we talk and we chat and I feel I still don't know you and I want to know everything about you, your history as a dentist, as a foreign trained dentist. So let's dive in. For those that don't know you, where are you from? And tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. I'm from Brazil. I was born and raised in Brazil. And when I was 18 years old, 17, I got into dental school in Brazil, just like many countries in Latin America, you don't have to go and around the world. I think you don't have to go to college before going to dental school. You basically go straight into whatever you want to do. And I got into dental school at 17, and then I came to the U.S. to do a work broad program during my summer break when I was in school, which is very common for Brazilian folks, and kind of started liking the United States. And I did again and again, so I did three times. And basically, right after my last time I was about to graduate in dental school, I came back. I got to figure out a way to go there again, and I landed on research assistant position or some people call visiting scholar 
postdoc research fellow. I've heard all kinds of names where I did research at UNC in Chapel Hill in the orthodontic department. And one thing led to another thing. Next thing you know, I'm more interested in the United States. And then I eventually came back and did my international dental program. And here we are today. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I have two, me and my wife, she's an orthodontist. And we have two private practices here in North Carolina. That's a very, very short summary of my background, but I'm sure you're going to talk a little bit about it. I feel like we just make a big jump and I'm going to dive into all the details. Because yeah. <laughs> that, that was a great summary, by the way, <laughs> from zero to hundred. But going back to those first experiences in your every year coming to observe it and work in the United States initially as a student, what was it that you saw that you felt like need to come back here? Being from Brazil, it's a very different culture, very different country, people, your ability to have things here. It's much easier than in my country. Also, it's much safer. No matter what people talk about the U.S., a certain places, this and that, it's still so much safer. You know, the combination of all these things together made me like very interested in the United States. Plus, you have great schools. Brazil has great dentistry, but the United States has a great technology. There are things that's really not easy for us in Brazil to have access to. Or we do have access to that, but usually, you know, comes to Brazil much later than comes to the U.S., so I think it's a combination of things that made me basically really, really like this country. And to me, it's a place of opportunity. If you work hard, you can make things happen. It's not easy, don't get me wrong. But if you have your mind focused on your goal and you work hard and you don't give up, you're going to make things happen for yourself. And I think that's the most interesting thing about this country. Which I probably agree in Venezuela is very similar. You can work very hard and you still might not make it or you might not even have the opportunities to make it. So I agree with you. I think this country really rewards work hard. And even if you come with a different background, you don't have to be somebody's son, somebody's daughter or having any specific yes. connection. I think if you do have good work ethics and effort, you can make a living with dentistry, particularly the access to technology and all these things are really fascinating. But when you make that jump into you know, graduating from dental school, when did you decided that what you wanted to do or the entrance point was through research? Was it because you were already an orthodontist back home or you did your orthodontist training here? How did that happen? So great question. I actually wasn't an orthodontist. I was just fresh out of school. In Brazil, the dental schools, the good ones, the public schools in Brazil were usually the best ones. Usually, that's kind of like the rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. And they are free for you to go and study. It's, it's really hard to get accepted into one of these public schools. But once you're in, it's free for dental school. On the other hand, specialty programs, almost 100% of the programs are paid for. You have to pay your tuition. And they're not cheap. But there was... There were two programs in the country that were free, only two in the whole country. You have probably over, I don't know, three, four hundred orthodontic programs in Brazil easily. There are only two that were free. One was focused on cleft palate, cleft lip and palate, and the other one was orthodontics as a whole. The, the cleft lip and palate is also an orthodontic program, but it's mostly focused on cleft lip and palate. And the other one, it was free and it would give me a stipend. So it was a perfect combination for somebody like me who couldn't really afford to pay for a program, basically, you know, to be a very competitive candidate. I need to be different. I have to be special. I have to be good. And I'm like thinking about what can I do to send my application and get these people attention? 
What is going to be the different thing that I'm going to do? A ton of people do research. A ton of people have good grades. A ton of people speak English. You know, what can I do that's going to be different than everybody else that doesn't have to be necessarily good, but different to catch their attention and be like, wow, I've never seen this before. That's when I'm like, I'm going to go to the United States because I'm fresh out of school. Pretty much nobody does this. It's something that's very, you know, unusual. And when I mentioned that during my summer breaks, I came to, to study, sorry, not to study, I came to work in the United States. While I was here working, I was a busboy. I worked in a casino. I did all kinds of stuff. But one time I emailed a university, Nova Southern University, Southeast University in Fort Lauderdale. That was, that's where I used to live. And I basically just inquired about the opportunity to do research for them. And to my surprise, they said, yes, we can make this happen, you know, and they asked me a bunch of information, but basically I was going to have to put a hold on my school in Brazil and stay in the U.S. And I didn't want to stop my school for a while. I wanted to complete. So I was like, well, I'm going to pass on this opportunity. But that thing, that answer, yes, that they gave me was like, oh, this is possible. So I came back to Brazil and I tried to connect with other schools. And that's when I connected with UNC and I was like, hey, it was April of 2009. I still remember this. And I sent an email and I was like, hey, this is who I am. All these things in the email. And I'm looking to spend some time in the US, maybe watching some lectures in the dental school, just following classes, whatever is possible for me to do. You know, I'm up for that anywhere from one month, three months. I can go. They answered me after a little while and they said, I don't have this opportunity for you. We don't do this in the school. However, we have this opportunity to do research, but you have to stay at least six months. You know, they say like, but you have to stay at least six months as a bad thing. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, sign me up, you know, sign me up. I'm going. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that first I found out that it was possible by just sending an email. And then when, the, when I was really ready to come, I sent another email. It worked out. It wasn't the first email. Just so people know, they didn't answer my first email. I had to repeat same email three times to the same person until they answered me. Okay, so try hard. And I came here. So they worked on my visa. And I came here and I did research and I published a lot of papers, pretty much everything in orthodontics. And then while I was in the US, I applied for the position in Brazil. I went to interview and I got accepted. I mean, you were different enough. <laughs> <laughs> different enough, you know, and, and all of my classmates, they were really, really good. But like out of everybody that applied, nobody had ever done what I did. Mm -hmm. So that's how I tried to like grab their attention, doing something different, some, something unique. I went back to Brazil and I did my master's, basically a residency in orthodontics in Brazil for about two years. Okay. And when was it that you decided that after those experiences, because you came here with your main goal of becoming a stronger candidate to go there? When was it that yes. you were like, mm, I think I actually better go back? I started doing my research about how to become a dentist in the U.S. while I was here. That was 2009. So I started learning about all the ins and outs, the, the different rules of different states and all that. And I even researched the schools that I would be able to apply to because they were either free or they would there was a tuition, but they would pay a stipend. Mm -hmm. And then I realized this is not going to be possible. But one interesting thing when you live in the U.S. and people think that I joke and I'm not joking when I say that. But if you want to like marry an American person, you're probably going <laughs> to, you know, find them living in the U.S., not while you're in Brazil or Venezuela, you know, mm -hmm. and not that I wanted to necessarily marry an American person. But while I was here, I ended up meeting somebody <laughs> because I was in the U.S. Of course. And uh, we ended up staying together and we're married now. 
But basically, when I was in Brazil, we dated long distance for a little while. And I didn't know it was going to work out. She didn't know it was going to work out. It was a long shot, you know. But we kept this relationship going. In the meantime, I was already like thinking, okay, so if I'm going to go there, I'm going to have to become, you know, a dentist in the U.S. So I started preparing my application, hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. And it worked out pretty well that by the time I finished my orthodontic residency, about two, three weeks later, I came to the U.S. And then we've been together since then, living in the U.S. That's nice. That's a sweet story. So at the end, it worked out. So you you have a very strong reason to come back. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So that, that was the main reason why I came back, you know. And we've talked about this before and like what my life would have been if, you know, we didn't get married or if I didn't meet her. And most likely what I would have done, I would still come back to the U.S., I believe, but I would probably have followed the PhD track. Mm. I, I never did a PhD and I'm not interested in doing it anymore. But in Brazil, it's very common to do a specialty master's and then follow with a PhD. And with all my connections in the U.S., I have a feeling that I would end up doing a PhD mm. in the U.S. And I would probably become a professor in the United States. That's probably where I would have gone, you know, because that would be the the simplest path for me and more stable with small expenses. You know, you know how it works, how school can be, you know, have all the barriers, financial barriers and all that. So I think I would end up being a professor at least for a while, but I'm happy where I am, much happier now. But I guess for those that are listening to us that have no idea how this works and, and they're learning the paths and going through navigating the system, I think a main barrier, and I hear this, it was the same for you that it was for me, was money. I just couldn't yes. say I'm going to pick a program out of my choice that because I had a limited budget and I couldn't just afford pretty much anything. And many times even what you can afford, you have to prepare very, very intensively to become a good candidate for us. I think about all the things you did. Yes. To be a good candidate for your program in Brazil, all of the investment, right? Because even those six months that you came here, with or without a stipend, you probably will have to pay some life expenses. You'll have to either pay rent or like there, there's still an investment, both time and money investment in anything we plan. So something that I see most people that are successful here doing is exactly what you did, having that vision of I'm going to prepare this for the future, mm-hmm. not thinking that things are going to happen magically or thinking that are going to happen out of luck. It's a combination of hard work, effort, and insist. Insist several times. And when you mentioned the email, I laugh a little bit because I thought about it, what I did, which was very similar. And nobody ever told me I have to send emails like crazy. But of course, back in 2010, all I could think of is let me just email people and introduce myself and offer my help or whatever it is that you want to offer. But of course, first email out of 35, you're not going to get any response. Then 35 becomes 60, 65, then 65 becomes 100. And then you end up losing count of how many emails to how many people have you sent at, until at some point you get some answer. Yes. So those answers are the ones that open the little doors. And and for you, that's like what I'm hearing is exactly what happened. So when you chose to do the international program. So you went to basically that are familiar with this will be an advanced standing program, right? Mm-hmm. Was it a two-year program? It was two-year and four months program at VCU. Today, they don't have the same program anymore. Now it's three years, which is much more challenging because time is money. Mm-hmm. You know, the sooner you graduate, the better because you can start making money. Back then it was two years and four months. Basically, the initial four months is what they call the pre-program 
you have like a very condensed 16 weeks of a bunch of exams and tests and this and that. And if you pass everything, you basically join the third year dental school class. Mm -hmm. And that's how I did. It was a great program. Did have quite a bit of lectures, but very, very hands-on. Saw a lot of patients, did lots of fillings, did, gosh, I don't even know how many extractions. I like to do the extractions back there. <laughs> simple ones, not, not, not wisdom teeth and stuff like that. But the simple ones that I liked, I, it, was, it was cool. So I really liked that program a lot. Great professors, great facility. Richmond is a great city. But nowadays, it's three years instead of two and four months, which kind of makes a big difference if you think about, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not the end of the world, but... It does make a difference. Yeah. So for those that are thinking maybe the other paths, either because they don't have finances to spend or they don't have the citizenship status that allows them to get a loan or that are planning to apply to programs that might be a little bit competitive and they might not be in the right state. When you talked about potentially being a professor, that path of staying in academia, what would you say for the people you know, because you probably know a lot of others that have gone into that path. Do you think what are the pros or cons of that path considering professional life? I really like the academia path, which is kind of like what you do, what you did. Not not necessarily all exactly the same, but like sort of, right? You have some academia involved in what you're doing. Uh, what I like about academia is that first, the main barrier for people, like you said, is finances. You have to figure out a way to cover for your school. So if you can't afford out of pocket and you cannot go to a school that's free or that maybe charges you a tuition but pays you a stipend, if, if you cannot go to one of these options, you basically with your hands are tied. Mm-hmm. So then you got to go find a co-signer. How are you going to find a co-signer if you live in Venezuela or Brazil, you know, unless you have a, a family member here? So you're really, really tight to, to what things that you can do to your options. The academia path, I think, is a great path because you're going to get paid and you're going to get paid probably well compared to what people would make in their own countries mm-hmm. probably very very well second if you don't have a green card that's a way for a path for you to have your green card third what i liked about the u.s is that there's no written rules but a lot of things can happen nobody ever said that i could apply to unc there wasn't a position available for me to do research i tried and it worked out just like people can try to talk to their team or whoever is responsible for for things at school and try to find a faculty track for you to get your DDS or DMD while you teach. Mm-hmm. It's not possible everywhere, but I've heard plenty of stories where people were able to accomplish that. I have friends who are doing this now. I have friends who are doing specialty through that. They are orthodontic professors and they're getting their specialty in the U.S. while they teach. So that's a very, very, let's say, low-cost way of getting things done. Low cost from a finance standpoint. Mm-hmm. From a time standpoint, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. And it's probably going to cost you a lot of time. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you can put your head down and sleep knowing that you don't have a ton of debt and you don't have anybody to pay back, basically. So I really like the academia path for a lot of people. Now, the problems with the academia path, like I said, you're paying with the time. It's not necessarily finances, but this time. The second problem to me is that you are very limited in your growth in academia compared to private practice. Mm -hmm. Basically, the the salary cap for academia, it's pretty stable, the salary, especially if you don't have any degree in the U.S. Mm -hmm. If your degree is only foreign, basically the schools know that there's nothing you can do to work in private practice so they're going to negotiate what's better for them and your hands are tied. So I know people that 
won't make as much as they could because they don't have an American DDS or a specialty degree or anything like that. So that's one limitation. To me in particular, I know plenty of people who go into academia because their research is very strong. Mm -hmm. But it's important for people to know that many, many of the research is done in the United States, at least from a dental school level. They are supported by grants. And it's important for people to know that you have to apply for these grants and get these grants. And sometimes if you don't get a grant, you could be out of salary. So I know plenty of people, if their grant is going to run over, they're going to run out of money and they don't get a new grant. They go into that pressure of like, I have to find something. So that's not a negative. But also, if if you have your salary paid by the school, that's a different deal. But some people, and I know quite a few people who had like 20% of salary paid by the school, 80% by grants. Mm -hmm. You know, so they always have to be looking for the next thing. So that's another negative. But overall, I think that's a that's an excellent path for plenty of people. And that's probably what I would have done. Yeah, I'm glad you because you touch on very, very important points and what is really the cost value or the cost benefit. You don't invest money, you invest time. And that might depend upon also everybody's specific condition, but also what they did in their country. I feel many times people want to follow a path just because they feel it's more predictable in a way. Perhaps probably have the same thing like people reach out to you. I want a faculty position. And when I check what they have done, we discussed, we talked about, they haven't even done teaching assistant. They haven't been involved with any research. So they haven't been involved with academia in their countries. So it's kind of difficult to even apply or prepare a CV for a position for something that you have never done and why you're going to come and say this is now the path for you. So I agree with you. I think it's a perfect path for many. But for others, if you really want what it is, the fast track in a way or the most predictable track, it is the most expensive one, sadly, or the the one on which cost benefit has to place differently. But going directly like you did, an advanced standing program will give you that freedom sooner Mm -hmm. and you have the work independence and you will have no cap in terms of how much you you could make or how much you work because you're you're on your own boss which is i think the beauty of absolutely a fidel career here (laughs) i see your smile that's priceless (laughs) so i want to know in that face i know that face for (laughs) for business owner how did that happen and what talk to me about why you decided to own your practice now to practices and how did that happen? And were there any challenges in that process as a foreigner? Oh, plenty of challenges. L- let me rewind back here, back to my 17, 16 year old self. I knew whatever I was going to do, I didn't want to have to respond to anybody. I knew that. That's kind of like one of the reasons why I went into dentistry. It's because it was an office where the doctor works and the doctor is in charge of pretty much everything. So I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. A lot of people in the U.S. go into dentistry because of money. It's one of the the, the best professions financially in the United States. In Brazil, dentistry is just like any other professor from a financial standpoint. Average dentist in Brazil actually probably makes about $1,000 a month. Wow. A month average dentist in Brazil. I, I went into dentistry because of passion and because I want to be my own boss. So when I was out of school in the US, I was like ready for it. But I had student loans. I had debt. I had this and that. First, I got a job. I got actually two positions working as an associate in two different practices. And I was driving quite a bit. One was like 40 minutes away. The other one was an hour and 30 minutes away. Wow. And I've done that for a while. But as soon as I was out of school, I started looking for areas where I could open an office. In the meantime, working as an associate, very soon I realized that 
I don't have any control over things. I want to buy this specific bracket. Well, they don't want to because it's too expensive. I want to take this day off. Well, you're going to have to work, you know, Mm -hmm. and and my bosses were pretty laid back about certain things, you know, but there were things that like, Hey, I don't want to work with this staff. She doesn't know what she's doing. Get me somebody else. Well, I can't get somebody else to work with her. You know, that was very, very challenging. In the very beginning, I'm like, I have my own office. You know, I have to be in charge of these things. And I started building my office. So I got out of school in 2017, May 2017, when I graduated. By July, I received my license because it takes a little while for you to get your license. In August, I think I started looking for places to start an office. It took about a year. And then on August 2018, I opened my practice. August 22nd, 2018, I opened my practice. But I continue to work as an associate because we need to have an income. Practice, brand new practice. Mm-hmm. We don't make money. <laughs> we actually lose quite a bit of money. Yeah. So I continue to work as an associate, but I cut back my hours more and more as the time went by. To the point where I am now that I, I can say that I don't work as an associate right now. I'm just covering in one office where I used to mm-hmm. because they couldn't find anybody to replace me so far. And I put my notice about eight months ago. So I'm basically helping them out so the patients can have continuity of care. Mm-hmm. But I put my notice about eight months ago and I used to go two days a week. I go now like one day a month. Of course, the patient pool also run quite a bit because I got a lot of people out of braces. I don't put anybody else in braces. That's the only reason I still do that, just to help out the patients. And for those of you, I I, I get this question a lot. Is it going to be easy to find a job when I get there? (laughs) Guys, I'm telling you, you guys listening to us here, I'm trying to quit a job and I can't because they cannot find somebody to replace me. So let's put that way. Okay. Just come here, get to degree. You're going to find a job. Mm -hmm. So I worked in as an associate for about uh, three years, you know, to the point that I felt comfortable dropping my job. I actually, I was planning on dropping my job right before pandemic started. That's when I, you know, it was like, I think it was January. I started talking to my wife. We were hitting the numbers in our practice. We're being able to be stable. And I was like, well, I think it's time to quit. And then two months later, I was ready to go with my notice pandemic hit. And then I'm like, okay, what's going to happen in my office? What, you know, I never, nobody ever lived through this before. So Mm -hmm. I was scared. Everybody was scared. Offices shut down a month, six weeks. So I kept the position. I kept my position as associate for the next six months. But then it got to the point where I'm like, okay, everything's going well, time to quit. And then I put my notice, but I'm just being, <laughs> I've been helping out because I, I feel bad if the patients don't have anybody to see and they, you know, are just embraces. So I help out, you know, it doesn't, doesn't cost me anything. I go there once a month and uh, I take care of them. So yeah. it's, it's, it's good. It, it makes me feel good too, you know. And I think what you said is so true. That there's so many. I receive so many calls a week. People asking me, I, "Can you come work with me?" I'm still looking, and I know people look. I know that sometimes also people look for the right fit, and that's something very particular, especially mm-hmm. when you're either transitioning because you want to sell, and there there will be certain people looking for something very specific. Mm-hmm. But there's so many job opportunities, especially if you're willing to go to not necessarily far, far away from the city, but not to very, very popular cities, you have even more opportunities because especially after COVID, oh, yes. so many people retiring, even retiring young, leaving practices in their 50s or reducing hours a lot and they just want somebody younger coming to work. So 
I agree with you. I feel the investment is worth it, even if it's a scary investment because nobody wants to have loans. Nobody wants to get in debt, but it's totally worth it. I mean, the, the Americans do it and they do it even more than us. It's just part of their culture, right? So they go to college, oh, yes. they get in debt. <laughs> they, they do it. They just do it. They don't even think about that. They, it's just part of life and they do it for everything they do in life without any fear. And the bank just like mm -hmm. borrow them money like crazy, borrow us money like crazy, just because they know that we have, will have the ability to repay. Because if you work hard, there is it's still going to be an opportunity. So... I, I hear you and I, I always invite people to say, you know what, if it's going to take you, if you want the fastest route, go to advanced standing, prepare yourself for advanced standing. If you're okay staying a little bit longer, if you want this job security and if you need the green card, then you'll probably have to go more into the university route if you can. Or if you have a partner that you could get married and get uh, all set in that air aspect, but it's definitely worth it. All the efforts are worth it. And I guess you're witnessing that. You're also living that. Hundred uh, percent, yes. And today, I'm very, very lucky to be in a position where both my wife and I work in in offices. So we work in two different offices. But I think that the best thing about life in the United States now as a dentist is that it's very stressful. Yes, sure. But I have a lot more flexibility than I would ever have as a dentist in Brazil. And I'm not even talking about money or anything like that. Certainly in the U.S. can make a lot more money than Brazil. But the freedom that I have, the way that the, the office operate here with a team, it allows me to see more patients in one day and have an extra day. Let's call it off. It's not necessarily off because there's a lot of admin work to do, but I can do admin work from my home, I can do from a hotel, I can do from anywhere. So many times I go on a trip or a long weekend, I have to stop my trip to run payroll. Yes, it happens, you know, but I can still go on a trip for four days straight, you know, which is something that in Brazil, I know that this wouldn't happen often. Mm -hmm. And here I have the flexibility of doing that. In, in fact, every now and then somebody wants to to look for a job and we want to hire somebody when people ask for 40 hours we're like it's hard to give 40 hours because our office is not open 40 hours a week oh, wow. you know certainly i need one person answering the phone 40 hours a week i'd like to have that but i don't need two people 40 hours a week mm. so every time somebody asks for 40 hours it's a challenge because i don't have all these spots available for 40 hours People want to work three days a week. Great. I have plenty of spots available for three days a week, mm -hmm. you know? So that's something that's very, very different. I don't know how it's in Venezuela, but in Brazil, most of them is that I know they work Monday through Friday, maybe Monday through Saturday, yes. you know? Yes. It's very yeah. common. And it's not the, the same style as here. And I'm going to ask you more details so you could explain how your practice operates, but the system mm -hmm. on how you have a team. I feel here, you have, we have a hygienist, we have assistants. I've trained my assistant to do so many things that... I could have three patients, like I have always double chair and sometimes even up to a third chair if, if needed. And as a prosthodontist, I can imagine even as an orthodontist, I know pedo, they see, I don't know, 40, 60 patients a day. A day. Yes. I don't know. How is it your a, a typical day in your practice? So what's going on simultaneously? So my, my practice is quite a bit slower than the average practice, I would say. And that's because the way that I want to run things, you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong. It's just a personal preference. Mm -hmm. 
So I see about 40 to 50 patients a day. And that's lower than average. That's lower than average. Yeah, I would say that probably average orthodontic practice sees 60 to 70 probably. Wow. But you know what? That doesn't make me happy. So it was a choice of mine. Maybe in 10 years, I'll be more used to it and I'll be fine. But today I feel really, really happy with 40 to 50 patients a day. I started fresh out of school. I was like a 30, 35 patients a day. It was like plenty. And then, but then I started to train the assistants and it got to the point where the assistants were like reading my mind and doing the things. So the way it goes is like, if you see 30 patients, but you're having to do a lot in each patient, it, it drains on you. Mm-hmm. You know, that like takes all your energy away and it's hard and you have to focus and you have to pay attention to what you're doing. So it, it's really hard mentally. But the more you train your assistants, more than you can think about, you know, like some of my assistants, the one that's been with me a little bit longer, I mean, they know what's the next wire that I'm placing. They know when I'm bonding a bracket on a tooth that's like coming in or not. They know all that by now. So I started to train the assistants and got to the point where I'm like, well, 30 patients a day, that's that's boring. You know, I need, I need more activity here. I need something else going on. And then I jumped to 40 to 45. Now that's my number. If I have trained assistants that I can rely on, not like somebody that I've never seen before, mm-hmm. but my assistants that I can rely on and know how they work, I'm really comfortable with 40 to 50 patients in a day. I have five chairs, but I usually run four, only four with active patients or sometimes three. Because one day a week, I only have three chairs running usually. And the other day, I have more assistants. I have four chairs running. And I don't like to fo- to run all five chairs with patients all the time because we have emergencies in orthodontics. We have a lot. Mm-hmm. So I like to have a chair free for if somebody needs to come, we we'll sit them there, we we'll take care of them, and the day doesn't go crazy. I'm all about peace of mind. I'm all about having a good day. Um, make sure that the patients are seated on time. Make sure the patients have a great experience. Because especially now with so much competition, you know, and everybody focusing on numbers and making more money and doing this and that. I focus on taking care of my patients. Mm-hmm. And then as a result of taking great care of them, they're going to appreciate that. They're going to tell their friends and their friends will come. That's the bottom line. That's that's it for me. You know, mm-hmm. take care of the patients, do the right thing for them, and then things will happen for you. So I try to have a slower day, slower pace. But that makes me happy, you know, and at the end of the day, you want to be happy because there are a lot of stresses related to running a business, especially an orthodontic business where you're dealing with people's, uh, not orthodontics, dentistry as a whole, where you're dealing with people's health and you want to make sure they have a great experience and you do the right things for them. So the last thing that you want is to have more patients than you can handle and then not be able to do things right. Yes. So I highly encourage people to to do what's good for their minds rather than their pockets. Mm-hmm. And of course, every specialty works and operates differently. So I don't know if you had any chance to shadow anybody, but I always suggest to people that come here to even understand the American dental system to shadow some offices and you could shadow a specialty office and each specialty is going to operate differently and everybody is going to have their system. But even general practices are, are very different and they're different to our countries. Yes. So from the business perspective, they're different. And from the operational and health perspective, they're different because I don't know how it's in Brazil. In Venezuela, we're not so used to the assistant having so many responsibilities because they don't right. even have license for it, right? So even we don't have hygienists. I don't know if you guys have the figure of a hygienist. No, same thing. Yeah. We're the hygienists. We're the hygienists. We're yes. the everything. So 
Definitely. I, I, I hear you and I feel doing that, caring for the patient will also bring you back business no matter no matter what. But I do know that you also care about international trained dentists as well that like you wear. And I know that you do I a do. lot of things. In, I don't know when, in what extra time, but talk to us a little <laughs> bit about your other business. So my other business named the Hevalida USA, and it's actually, I, I, I set up the, a whole what is it called? Umbrella company, a bigger company that takes care of the course. It's called Dental Academy USA. I started during the pandemic because the office shut down. I did not know when I was going to go back to work. And like you're doing the International Dentist Podcast, I had a blog in Brazil as a hobby. And the goal of my blog was to talk about orthodontics, you know, and I wanted to be cool talking about orthodontics. In the very beginning, I didn't even know what I was doing. I was writing stuff, trying to publish it. I know how to put stuff there, get help from my brother to publish things. And then I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to write. So let's let's write about being a dentist in the U.S. You know, it's not orthodontics, but let's try to do that. So I wrote a few things about it, published on Facebook. Next thing I know, it went viral, whatever that was back then, you know. Tons of people sharing, tons of people liking, commenting, and this and that. And uh, people started to get in touch with me. So I started helping people out. And three people actually got to the U.S. One got accepted to BU and then to UConn for ortho. The other one got accepted MedStar for ortho straight. And the other guy got accepted to U, uh, University of Pittsburgh and then Maryland Orthodontics. And I helped them. But for like these three that I helped, there were like more than 30 people who sent me an email. I I took a ton of time to answer them and they didn't even say thank you. And they never did anything. So I kind of started to like, mm, I'm, I'm not going to do this. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to stop with this thing here. I'm going to keep my orthodontic stuff. And then I just kept publishing stuff. The most access publication was my international dentist publication. So that's when I first realized they were not even my clients. They were just people out there. You know, it's not that it was a business, and but that gave me a business insight for my own office. Mm-hmm. You have to offer what people want, not what you think it's cool. Offer what they want, not what you think it's cool. So what they wanted to learn about how to be a dentist in the U.S. That's what they wanted. So pandemic hit. And then I had this whole list of people who got in touch with me and I got nothing else to do. And I'm like, hmm. Let's see here. What can we do with our free time? I have two kids at home, but I'm going to get bored pretty fast. So I started to get in touch with some of these people. And uh, I was like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a course about becoming a dentist in the U.S. Would you like to sign up? I don't have anything ready yet. This is going to be the fee. Back then, who was starting was like $400, $500, something like that. You're going to have to trust me that I'm going to deliver this. I don't have anything right now, but you read my post. If you trust me, great. If you don't, I understand. No hard feelings. So I got in touch with quite a few people and two people signed up. I, I had nothing. I had nothing. They I had, had my two believers. ideas. Two believers. They were one specifically, one signed up for a, a one hour cons- consulting with me. The other one was like, I'm going to pay the whole thing and I'm going to, whenever it's ready, great, we'll do it. And uh, her name is Michelle. She lives in the US and she was the most important person, I think, for me to, to get this going. And then I got my iPhone, bought a tripod, went to my office, did PowerPoint lectures and started recording the lectures, one after the other one. And then the first, and then I decided to launch like uh, my first class. And in the first class, I hit 17 people. The first believer plus 16. 
Nice. You know, and the guy that paid the consulting, he also signed up. Hmm. So I did everything except reco- uh, except editing the videos. I had a video maker who was editing the videos for me, but mm-hmm. everything was done by me. Then I kept doing stuff. And then second class, it was like, I don't know, 27. Third class, 27. Fourth class, over 10 people, wow. which happened during the pandemic. So the numbers were pretty low. Mm-hmm. So now we're almost at 100 people. <laughs> we're almost at 100 people. I have my YouTube channel where I have over over 70 videos, I think, over 80 videos where I explain a lot of things. People can learn a lot, but it's all in Portuguese, except our interview. Mm. It's in English. The only one that's in English. So special. So I have over 70. <laughs> you're special. So I have over 70 videos and I have over 26 hours of content in my course because what I was doing was like I was answering each person individually. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... You know, I'm, I'm telling the people, these different people the same thing over and over. I can, I can make this in a way that, you know, don't ask me, just watch my videos. So I create a step-by-step before you come into the U.S. What are the jobs that you can have? What can you do when you come in here? If you don't have a green card, how, what are the ways that you can step your foot in the U.S.? How do you apply for ECE? How do you, tips about the board, you name it. I have everything from like getting to the U.S., until you sign your first contract as a dentist, because there's a plenty of stuff that people should be aware of when they're signing a contract. It's very tricky. I'm not a lawyer, but I do give them my experience of what happened to me and my wife. So I share this with them. So I have everything from start to finish, how to become a dentist in the United States. And I started this about a year and a half ago, and I have now uh, almost 100 people. Nice. Isn't that amazing? What do you feel is the main challenge that foreign trained dentists that you work with have when they're joining this adventure? Without any doubt, the main challenge is the financial aspect of the course. That's without a doubt. I I like to say that first you need to decide like what you're gonna what what do you want to do in the U.S. Because you can be a dentist, you can be a hygienist, you can be a faculty, you can be a specialist, you can be a researcher, you can be plenty of things that's still connected to dentistry. Mm-hmm. You gotta decide what you want. Then you gotta make a financial plan for that, and that's where most people stop because they don't have a financial plan. So that to me is the most difficult barrier for a foreign person, you know, and goes back to what I was joking in the very beginning. Well, you have to be in the U.S. to, not you have to be, but your chances are higher Mm -hmm. to find an American person if you are in the U.S. Well, your chances are higher to get a job in a university if you're in the U.S. Your chances are higher to find a spouse if you're in the U.S. Your chances are higher to have a job that's going to be sponsored if you're in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Your chances are higher to find a co-signer for your student loan, which Plenty of people have found a call sign in the U.S. They're not family members. Even people, one one huge thing that amazes me, the connection that uh, they have is a program called Mm AllPair. Have you heard of it? Yes. So somebody come from another country, usually a female, they come to be a nanny. Mm -hmm. And how many times have I heard about a nanny having a host family who absolutely, absolutely loves them and are like, you know what? I'm going to sign your loan here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take care of you. They're not responsible for the loan itself. Of course, unless the other person doesn't want to pay, then it's a problem. But but basically, they need a co-signer. And your chances are going to be much higher if you step your foot in the U.S. The financial barrier is the most difficult thing to me. But if people step a foot in the U.S., 
things change. Things can change. You know, don't sit in your country waiting for things to happen because likely they won't. You know, likely they won't. So that to me would be the, the most complex thing. Now, let's say that money is not a problem mm -hmm. or the person have the ability to get a loan or something like that. I think the second problem is that people underestimate the application process. They underestimate. Yes. I don't know how it's in Venezuela, but in Brazil, you take an exam. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares your background. Nobody cares if you were in the jail day before or if you're the smartest guy in class. You take an exam. If you pass, you pass. That's it. Yep. In the U.S., it's not like that. It's not like that. You have to prepare. You have to do a personal statement. You have to prepare your CV. You have to do a whole application. And then if everything goes well, then you have an interview. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter that you're the best person on paper here. Mm -hmm. But if you go to the interview, you don't know how to speak English. You cannot look at somebody in the eye and carry a conversation. And it doesn't have to be perfect English, guys. Just so you know, my English is not perfect. I've been living here for eight years now. Nine, nine years, nine years in March. My English is not perfect. And that's fine. But you have to be able to carry a conversation. You know, even if you make grammar mistakes and all that, it's fine. But mm -hmm. you got to be able to carry a conversation. You can't just sit down and freeze when somebody asks you something. So people underestimate the application process from like a paperwork standpoint. Mm -hmm. And they underestimate the interview. So they think, oh, it, it's uh, the interview. I just got to, you know, do the talk and this and that. No, it's no. not like that. And the amount of hours, I'm so, so glad you mentioned that because I, I know that we talked about this in the past and how people reach out to us, like maybe a couple of days before the interview. Oh, I got an interview. Do you have any tips for me? And this <laughs> is like, <laughs> I'm going to have a baby tomorrow. Do you have some tips for me? Like, it just doesn't happen like that. It it requires so much preparation. And I always make the example of the national boards. I generally ask the question back. How long did it take you to pass the national boards? And then they'll be like one year, six months, two years, whatever. Okay, the same amount of time and effort that you put to study for your boards, you'll have to put to prepare your application, mm -hmm. which is not only the paperwork part, many, many times requires for people that have no experience on certain things that you actually get exposed to certain things. Perhaps some people want to apply to a master's in public health and they have no volunteer experience, right? So they had no way of justifying that they want to do something because they don't have it on their CV. So then they... Mm -hmm. They just take it lightly. And then same thing with the interviews, especially for a foreign for a foreign person. As you said, we don't need perfect English. I don't speak perfect English myself, but you have to be able to carry on a conversation, to answer questions in a format that is not natural for us. And I think that's probably the main challenge. And that why that's why we need training. And training many times is almost like Absolutely. acting, right? So you have to act and pretend. And not that you're going to be a fake person, but you need to be a refined version of yourself to be able to now take that interview into a final result, which is hopefully the, the lucky one that you're expecting. But how many people get interviews and they missed an opportunity? And what they don't know or they don't understand is that they get a sticker of second cycle application. Or when you want to apply again to the same program, especially we know certain programs that are very competitive, either because they get a stipend, et cetera, they might get one shot they might get a second shot, but the second time you really have to be even much better than any other candidate because they want to know what do you do different from last time to now. So it's even harder. You have and to step up your game. Big time. And I yes. think every, every cycle just becomes harder. So I tell people, don't apply until you're ready. I have people that come to me. I just want to apply. I just want to save time and go. 
you're not ready. So many people are not ready and they're not taking the time to prepare accordingly. If I were to ask you, what do you think will be a minimum amount of time for people to prepare for their application process? What would you advise? You're including like, not not the board preparation, right? No. Just like paperwork and stuff. Yes. I would say it depends how strong is your CV, how many things have you done. If you have done these things properly and you have a fairly strong CV, and by very fairly strong CV, there's so many different things that you can do to have a strong CV. You don't have to do everything, guys, just so you know, you don't. I never had a single day of clinical experience in my life and I got accepted into a program, just so you guys know. Never worked as a private practitioner before I got accepted. So, uh, but if you have some things that are strong in your CV, just for you to put together personal statements, letters of recommendation, all these kind of things, at least six months, mm-hmm. at, at the very least six months, okay? Now, if you identify things that are weak on your background and you want to improve them, then you have to account for that time. So if you want to start doing volunteer work, you're not going to do two weeks of volunteer work and think that that's going to make your resume amazing, mm-hmm. your CV amazing. You're going to have to do that for a while. If you want to do shadowing, you're going to have to do that for a while. If whatever you want to do, you know, you want to show some consistency there so it really like comes down to you put in your CV and then people ask you and then you can have an answer that is convincing that you did this for an important reason rather than just add a check mark on your CV. Mm-hmm. So you have to be you have to be careful about how you plan and what you're gonna do. One thing that I hear a lot because I have like almost a hundred people in my course plus hundreds of people who come and ask me questions, you know. Oh, I don't have research. I'm not a good candidate. Who cares that you don't have research? I had zero, you know? zero research when I apply. I have two years of clinical experience, so I have zero research. Who cares? You know, I had research because that was my strong thing, but I had zero days of clinical experience. Like I was saying, the strong candidate can come in so many different ways. And the beauty about the U.S., because it's not just uh, exam that you take, a, you have your grade and the best grades go to the next level, next round. It's like they pick you based on several different things. Sometimes the program directors will like to get different people. So if they get this person with the research background, this one with the clinical background, this one with the leadership background, mm-hmm. this one who supports the ADA or do stuff like that. Do you guys have any idea how important this is? That's that's huge. You know, this other person, it's a self, uh, very selfless person who helps. The, it's like all different things that can make a great group. Mm-hmm. So the ideal candidate comes with so many different faces. A very common thing in Brazil that's different than the U.S. In Brazil, it's a stable job and pays fairly well to be in the Army, military, mm-hmm. uh, Air Force, Navy, or what in the U.S. would be called community health centers. Mm. So a lot of people want to work there. Pretty much not many people want to do this kind of job in the U.S. It's not many. The vast majority want to go to private practice. Why? Because it pays less. You're going to stick with the basics of dentistry. Mm. You're not going to do like those bridges and implants and this and that. So not many people want to do this community health service, Army, Navy and stuff. Most of people who do that, Let's just face it, it's because they got a scholarship to go to school, mm. they pay back, they end up staying there, mm-hmm. or because they can retire early. Usually that's the situation. Well, this people that do this in the U.S., they are seen with very, very great eyes because 
it's they honor a lot army navy they honor a lot this kind of things here mm-hmm. so i hear i get people in my course like i don't have anything in my cv i just been in the army for 20 years i don't have anything else i'm like nothing i mean look how many ranks you went up look at the leadership look mm-hmm. at like the commitment look at the so many things that you have that you don't even know mm-hmm. you know take this and make a great statement about that and you are a great candidate you just don't know about that so that like, these are like cultural differences i'm sure venezuela may be different too but like some things that we do in one country here is different we don't realize the importance of this you know yes we have to be a little bit more advocators of ourselves and recognize our values, our strengths. Also being humble and honest about our weaknesses yes. because we get into that path, you're right, of thinking, oh, it should be research or it should be this and I don't have that. So people start thinking on the ideal candidate, like if it looks like one type of person. But you're so right, program directors create a group and they want to try to really fill up different aspects. And every year, the truth is that every year, the pool of applicants is different, right? So you don't really know who Mm -hmm. are you competing with. So you don't even know if what you're bringing to the table is what they need. And at the end, I still believe it's a matter of match. So I know even many programs go to a process of match, which it has to be mutual. And I always tell people, you have to try to apply to programs that also make sense for you, that you make sense for them, but they make sense for you because that's gonna increase your chances to be accepted. Perhaps somebody like that that been in the military applying to a program where they have no outreach programs or they don't have access to community health centers or anything like that, then that person will might not be the strongest candidate for that type of university and so on. So I, I agree with you. I think there are ways that people can work on themselves to show themselves better. And that preparation, as you said, I think six months will be the minimum to be able to prepare accordingly and even draft your CV. You have the CV in terms of the experiences, but you don't even have it written in a way that is appealing, in a way that is going to be pulled out like, I want to bring this person. And people think they're going to do this overnight. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is going to take a while. But personal statement, oh my goodness, personal statement is like, that takes a while. We don't write anything in Spanish. I feel like we write for history classes and things like that, but we don't write an essay. We don't write our feelings or our thoughts or any like any of that. So I think even the learning curve for us is more, even more uphill and a little bit steeper mm-hmm. because of that, but learning progress. So I think it, it's, people just need to be open to, to the progress. So reaching out the end of the, the time that we set up to talk, Leo, I want to ask you if you could go back in time, and I know this is always an unfair mm-hmm. question because people generally are happy with their decisions. They don't want to change a thing. But if you could go back in time and make one thing different, or if you could take one of those foreign trainees right now listening to this that are going to struggle, if you can give one piece of advice, either to your young self or to this young person right now thinking of coming to the United States, what advice would it be? One piece of advice. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I think I'll, my my advice, I think that actually fits for me. You know, one of the mistakes that I made is what we're just talking about, the preparation. I underestimated the preparation process, even though I have been studying for a long time how to become a dentist in the U.S. I didn't realize how long things were going to take. In certain steps, I'm like, well, I'll, I'll have time to do this later. And simple things like submitting my CV, for my, not my CV, my, my transcript for evaluation by ECE. Very tiny little thing that took longer than expected and that was a problem with my name. And that led for me to not be able to take the boards. 
in that land for me to lose a whole year of application because of one tiny little thing that just took longer than expected. And I was like, well, I can get this done. And I couldn't. And I lost a whole year of application and I could be Dennis a year sooner. So my main thing to tell people is don't underestimate the amount of time that's going to take you to go through this process. Preparation is key. And go back to the beginning of the interview. You're going to remember me saying like, time is money. And in the US, if you lose a whole year working as a dentist, you basically lost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't come out of your pocket, but it didn't come into your pocket either. So my mistake, and I try to teach people this, is don't underestimate the process. It's very long. It's very time consuming. And they will not go smooth. (laughs) I guarantee you that. You're going to have tons of hiccups. Be prepared. Have a plan A, B, and C. That's excellent. I'm glad that you shared that. I feel many people go through the process or even see the things from outside and see us who have accomplished whatever it is, small or big, and they see us like somebody, oh, they never had a challenge. Oh, everything was so smooth for them. Oh, they have their parents paying. So they really make a lot of assumptions that things were not difficult. So I like to desensitize Mm -hmm. those and bring up those issues. Imagine you lost a whole year. And it happens to all of us. It it was was painful. I could imagine. It was very painful. And if I can add one more thing, I was just thinking about one more thing. Be humble, okay, when you come to the U.S. I mentioned in the beginning, I worked as as a research assistant. I was a dentist. Average dentist in the U.S., fair to say, I think $150,000 a year they're going to be making, okay? I was a dentist, graduated from Brazil, but still a dentist. And I came to the U.S., and I worked as an assistant making $10.40 an hour. Anybody working at McDonald's was making the same amount that I was or more. And I was a doctor working for that much money. But it was not the money. It was the experience. So be humble. Plenty of people who come here, ah, I don't want to work as a dental assistant. I'm a doctor, you know. Uh, I don't want to do this. I don't want. I have a PhD. I'm not going to go to a school to do research. I should be a professor. One step at a time, be humble, and then you get there. That's another very important thing for people to keep in mind. You know, we always start from here. It doesn't matter where you are in your home country. You come here, you're here, and then you move your way up. We're still immigrants at the end, and we're building our lives here. Like building our professions is a reflection of that. So those are all great advice as well. Leo, thank you so much for your time, your expertise, sharing your story, and, and being so honest, open, and generous with the information. I will leave all the contact information for those interested on finding more about your course and your professional pursuits. I know that you have all that available. And thanks again for your time and for inspire other international dentists with your career and path. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. I was really, really happy with the invitation. And I also want to thank you for volunteering your time with this this program that you're doing because this can help so many people you know and you're taking time away from from your family to be doing this private by that's that's really nice of you thank you for doing that too thank you so much have a very very good day bye thank you bye-bye thank you so much for sharing your time with me today i would love to hear how this conversation inspired and empowered your journey leave me a comment on itunes subscribe And join me in my next episode of the International Dentist Podcast. And remember, I am always here for you.